Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. So we are starting a new series called Easter Eggs. Um, I, for one, love this graphic. Like, I feel like the colors are bright and amazing, especially on a gloomy day like today. But uh, here's the deal with Easter eggs. They're not just like beautiful, colorful decor. They're not just these little plastic objects filled with candy hidden in the yard. There's multiple definitions for Easter eggs, right? So one of those definitions is like a... um, a feature in a body of work, like a book or a movie or video game, software, something like that, that is included as like a hidden bonus or a joke. Now, I, I uh, loved playing Xbox growing up, so that was my first experience, video games with uh, Easter eggs. Now, I would have failed college if it weren't for my Xbox red ringing in my freshman year, okay? So I got out of the gaming scene and by the grace of God because I love to play video games, and it would have <laughs> ch- ruined my life. So anyways, but for kind of an example to explain this today, do we have any Pixar movie fans in here? They're like the king of Easter eggs. So the first one I'm going to show you is the Pizza Planet truck. <laughs> so Jonathan, in every single Pixar movie, you can find the Pizza Planet truck somewhere on some scene somewhere. This is just a few of them, but literally like there's, there's a spot in Finding Nemo, there's a spot in Cars and Monsters, Inc., all these places that have the Toy Story has the Pizza Planet truck. It's a little Easter egg in every Pixar movie. Now... Not all Easter eggs are just like a fun thing. Some of them are like a hint at the future. They're like a a secret bonus to tell you what's coming. If you've ever stayed after the credits of a Marvel movie, there's usually an Easter egg after the credits in the movie theaters of, of the upcoming Marvel movie. Like there's one where they find Captain America's shield, things like that. Pixar does this too. So I'm gonna show you a few up here. Jonathan if, you'll throw up, Jonathan, if you'll throw up the first one for me. We have, uh, I believe it is Monsters, Inc. And in Monsters, Inc., the movie that came, Pixar movie that came out after Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo. Boo has a stuffed animal. That is Nemo, right? Little Easter egg. The, after Monsters, Inc., or after Nemo came uh, The Incredibles. So if you want to throw the next one up there. 
So as the, uh, in Finding Nemo, when the, the patient is reading a magazine in the lobby of the dentist, uh, it's got the Incredibles on it. Then you go to the Incredibles, and in the Incredibles, there's a scene where it's got the, uh, the, older, the older car from Cars. If you throw up the next one for me. So you can see now that there's another little Easter egg. So Cars was the next one. Now they do this in every, I'm not going through every Pixar film, but I'm going to highlight the Incredibles here for a minute, all right? So fast forward many, many years to an incredible movie, Coco. Has anybody, everybody seen Coco? If you haven't seen Coco, watch it. It's an absolutely incredible movie. But there's a scene in Coco where on the wall, you can see a skeleton version of the Incredibles. The reason this was such good news is because I had been waiting 14 years to find out if the baby, what its powers were going to be from the Incredibles. 14 years they made us wait for the sequel, okay? And when Coco came out, we knew Incredibles 2 was coming, okay? And we got to figure out what Jack-Jack's powers were going to be, okay? So there's... That, 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 so that's an Easter egg, right? And that's what this series is all about. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament. We're going to look at promises and prophecies throughout the Old Testament that point to Jesus, the resurrection, Easter, as we make that journey and highlight certain facts about Easter, about the resurrection story, about salvation that we see in the Old Testament. All right, we're going to highlight those prophecies. Now, I want to say going into this, when it comes to the Old Testament, I'm not an expert, but I'm extremely infatuated with the Old Testament. I I love it. And so I read it and study people who are experts. So this series leans heavily on um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, Mike Heiser, who uh, just recently passed away, but he has several incredible books. And today's message and several uh, lean heavily on this book, The Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter. Um, I want to make sure to give these scholars credit. Today's message has so many quotes from Sandra. I would literally be stopping over and over again to tell you this is Sandra, this is Sandra. So I want to go ahead and give her credit before we jump into the message. Um, If you have, if you want to, if the Old Testament is like just a jumbled up closet of unorganized stories, to use her illustration, that book is absolutely incredible. It organizes it, lays it out, gives such a deep understanding to the story of Eden and the story of Scripture. So I highly recommend that book. That said, today we're going to be looking at our first Easter egg, which will come later, but we're going to be looking at Genesis. You can't tell the story of salvation. You can't tell the story of the cross without first starting in the garden. We're going to specifically highlight and read the curse, but we're going to also, in that process, talk about the promise that was before that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19 now. It says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall, uh, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, I pray that your story will captivate our hearts, will captivate our minds 
and that you will mold us and shape us as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a pastor, I get this question all the time. And as a Christian, you may get it too, especially if you have non-Christian friends. But it's this question of why do bad things happen to good people? I've literally had like friends who are believers set up FaceTime calls with me because they had this struggle over the evil in our world. Like if God is a good God, if he's in control, why do bad things happen to good people? And the hard part about this question is it almost always comes out of a place of difficulty and pain. And in that moment, I'm not going to give them a lecture on what the, the, the Bible says about bad things happening to good people. So I kind of, I almost have a rehearsed answer because it literally happens so much, but I kind of sum it down to this. It's a tough question, but it was not God's original plan. That difficulty that you're going through was not God's original plan. It almost always comes out of personal hurt, uh, things, questions like, why do babies die? Why do young parents get cancer? Why are good citizens killed by drunk drivers? If it's not a person that I know deeply, a lot of times it's more global in the question. Like, why do tyrannical governments thrive? Why do evil dictators seem to have all this success? Why does terrorism seem to multiply and reproduce itself? Why are tens of thousands of children on this planet orphans? Probably the most often it is surrounded about around things like natural disasters, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, most recently the earthquakes in Turkey that killed almost 60,000 people. The videos that have come out from that have literally had me weeping. Parents who died protecting their kids because of turmoil and the government help can't get in to help these people. And almost 60,000 people have died from this natural disaster. Some of the deaths could have been prevented. Why do those things happen? In that moment, my simple answer is always, this was never God's plan. God's plan was and always has been Eden. It was and always has been the garden. If you read your Bible from beginning to end, you see the story of God's promise in the beginning, his original intent, what he wanted it to look like. Then you get to Revelation 21 and you see his final intent, what he wants it to look like, what it's going to be. And it's the same as the promise in the beginning. The the new Jerusalem is Eden, but it's bigger and it's better. And God has gone to prepare that place. And when Jesus returns, he brings it with him. And that's the story. That's where God wants it. He wants God's people in God's place with God's presence. And that is the story. But in between the Eden garden and after the fall until that moment when Jesus returns, we see God's rescue plan. In the beginning, that was not, that evil was not God's original plan. His, his original plan is this beautiful picture of humanity, of Adam and Eve called to build. It's not just about fig leaves and fruit. They were commissioned to raise up an entire race of people who would stretch their physical and their creative powers to the absolute limit to build a society of balance, justice, and joy. Here, they would learn what it meant to live life at the feet of their father. To quote Dr. Richter for the first time in today's message, she says that they were to build their city in the shadow of the Almighty. They were to create, design, and expand within the protected confines of the kingdom. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine humanity ever expanding, growing, developing, yet it's a civilization without greed, malice, or envy? She puts it like this. It's progress without pollution. It's expansion without extinction. Humanity would be on the move. It would be moving forward, but it would be under the guidance of an imperfect relationship with their creator. They would be given everything they needed to explore and develop their world in such a way that the success of the strong did not involve the deprecation of the weak. As people moved forward, as society grew, as the strong advanced, the weak would not be belittled. People would not be put down. You wouldn't have slaves working for an evil government. Everything would be made right. All the joys that we know of building something new, of building a relationship, of building a career, of building those things, all that would still be true. Humanity would be growing and expanding, but it would be without sin. It would be without destruction. Here, the government would be wise, it would be just, it would be kind, resources would be plentiful, war would be unnecessary, achievement would be unlimited, and there would be beauty and balance everywhere. What an incredible promise. What an incredible picture of what reality was supposed to be. Yet God in his sovereign power chose relationship. God needs nothing. He has no need. He never has has had a need ever. He didn't need some slave race to to fill his desires. He didn't need some slave race so that he could eat, so that he could have pleasure. And if you go and you read the ancient Near East the different religions of this time, they all kind of have, they all have the story of the flood, which is really neat, meaning that the flood happened, right? It's a significant event for all of these different races of people in the Mesopotamian area. They all had this flood story. But after the flood, every God regrets wiping out the people. And the reason he regret, that God regrets it is because that God needs those people. But in the story of the Bible, our God doesn't regret wiping out creation because it's a fresh start. He uses that moment to create a new covenant with Noah to make the people to have a new start where evil was everywhere. Now he's got a chance to have his people once again. The Bible tells a different narrative. God doesn't need us. He wants us. Mike Heiser has this incredible book. It's tiny. It's an easy read. It's written for new believers, but it's titled, What Does God Want? God didn't need us but he wants us. He wants a family. He wants relationship. That's why he created us. He created us to be a part of his family. But humility, but humanity must be willing to submit to God's plan. You can't have a family if we're forced to obey him. Then you have a slave race. He wanted relationship, so he put the option to choose in the garden. Sandra once again says this, the steward must choose this world, that perfect world. For in God's perfect plan, the steward had been given the authority to reject it. God wanted relationships, so he gave us the choice to choose him as our ruler or to reject him as our ruler. And reject them, they did. And with that rejection came the reversal of this blessing, the reversal of this promise. So we look at our passage today, we see this reversal. We see what came with the curse. First, it highlights Eve and what she lost. The first aspect of of Eve's curse was involves childbearing. Genesis 3.20 says that Eve's blessing was to be the mother of all the living. 
Think about that. Eve was commissioned to be the mother, the grandmother, the great, 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 great grandmother of all who lived. And this is without sin, so you don't have the typical dysfunction of the typical family today. What a blessing that would have been. Now, I got to be honest, I have to confess for you guys right now, I have never been a mother, all right? So I don't exactly know what it's like to be a mother. Now, I am a father, so I know aspects of what it means to be a parent. I am married to a mother, and I know what an incredible blessing I am to my own mother. So there, <laughs> I have a little bit of a hint of what it means to be a mom. I don't know exactly, but based on what I've been told and some experience, I want to unpack that. There's nothing that comes close to the joy of being a mom. Getting to know your unborn child as he or she grows inside of you, seeing them the moment they take their first breath, holding them, feeling their skin on yours for the first time, knowing that your calling in life now is to care for and protect that child, to teach them, and then to let them fly, let them live life on their own. Nothing can compare to that joy. And what I've been told, being a grandmom is even better. I can remember when uh, Lauren was pregnant with Eddie Lee and we got the opportunity to tell uh, Paul Paul and Care Bear, my dad and Karen, that they were going to be grandparents, right? And we were sitting in El Charo and we had made this little gift so that when they opened it, they would know that they were going to be grandparents for the first time. And my dad literally yelled out audibly in the middle of a restaurant. And he's like, that's not him, right? And he yelled out audibly, whoa, in the middle of El Charo. It was kind of embarrassing. And I look over and the Care Bear's like tearing up and, and just to kind of, she's not, she's with the kids today, but just to kind of speak to her. She is, if you don't know, she's my stepmom. And I've uh, officiated many weddings, and I've had people who have dealt with step-siblings and step-relationships, and it can be complicated when you have a blended family. I have friends and siblings who have difficult relationships with a step-grandparent loving their kids the same. I've seen it happen. We've never had that issue. From that very moment, Care Bear has loved our girls, and they love her the way they light up when they see her, the joy that comes from being a Care Bear, from being a grandmother. It's unbelievable. And that was Eve's promise. For all of eternity, every living being was going to be her grandchild, great-grandchild, on and on and on. That was her blessing. What an incredible loss that came with the curse. For those of us that live in, the, in a time where we're post-industrial revolution, where things have greatly improved and we have the blessing of being in a wealthy country, but the truth is it's not like that for everybody. In fact, in, for most of history and even for a lot of the world today, the number one cause for death in women is childbearing. To once again quote Sandra, it says, With the fall, she who had the unique privilege of producing heirs to the human race finds instead that the main source of her injury and death would be that very act. No longer, no longer is childbearing some, this beautiful picture, but it, now it's still beautiful, but it comes with pain and heartache and sometimes the most severe injury that a woman can experience. 
And if you've ever known anybody who desperately wants children but can't have them, or someone who has lost an unborn child, that is a pain that is almost unmatched. The number of times that I've been in a living room or on the phone or with a family member or a loved one who desperately wants a child and doesn't have one, it will wreck you. But that was not the original intent. That was not the promise. That was not God's plan. And what a tragic loss it is that we have this curse. The, the second aspect of Eve's, of Eve's curse was relational. We've been here before, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but Eve was designed to be a co-ruler over all creation. In Genesis 1, she, just like Adam, is commanded to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In every fashion, Eve was presented as Adam's equal in Genesis 1. But with the fall, that mutuality was shattered. In God's original intent, Adam and Eve's relationship had been all they could ever need or want. But in the fall, the ideal partnership that has been, that ideal partnership has been transformed into a battle royale of needy souls grappling, trying to fill their need over the other. In Eden, Adam and Eve's need for intimacy, partnership, affirmation, and admiration were all met in full satisfaction. But with the fall, even though Adam and Eve desperately need and desire each other, they are no longer able to live their lives together with that same mutuality. Now they're stuck in a competitive relationship, each striving for control of the other, fighting for resources that now appear limited and always on the move. A relationship that should have been marked by mutual sacrifice, productivity, and joy will now create instead the deepest of frustration and pain. We just got out of a relationship series, but we all know the anger and frustration that can come with relationships. When, when someone that you've cared about for so long, whether it be a friend or a sibling or a parent, they have this destruction in their life, and for some reason that relationship ends up broken, we know the heartache and the frustration and the pain that comes from that. But that was never a part of the plan. That was not God's original intent. That was not in Eden. And what an incredible loss it is. For Adam, the first part of his curse is, is that it has to do with his work. Right, So Adam was a farmer, to, to kind of get into the Hebrew a little bit, stay with me, all right? Adam is the Hebrew word for human. So Adam is how it's pronounced, right? So Adam is the Hebrew word for human, and in the garden, the word is Adamah. You see the word play. Adam was created for the earth. Humanity was created. Adam was a farmer. That was his blessing. That was his original intent. He was designed to tend and cultivate the land in order to bring out the absolute best in it. And the ground was designed for him. It was designed to respond to Adam's direction with eager abundance. Last summer, we uh, decided we were going to go on an adventure of growing tomatoes. Okay, We love tomatoes. The girls love tomatoes. Um, 
Lauren's grandparents in North Carolina, they grow the best tomatoes. Like we go there and we take like 17 of them and bring it home because they have got the magic touch and their tomatoes are delicious. The girls love them. And we're like, you know what? We're going to go on this. We're going to try to do this. We're going to give it a shot. So we, we bought a bucket, big bucket. We bought the soil. We bought the plant. We planted it. We watered it. We watched it. We watered it and we watched it. We watered it. We watched it. And nothing happened. And I was sure somewhere along we got the wrong soil, we got a bad plant, we had messed up somewhere. But then pretty soon, these little yellow flowers appeared. And we got really excited. There was a couple of them on there where the girls were taking pictures. We were really excited. We're like, look, our tomato plant has life. We didn't kill it. And there's these beautiful yellow flowers. We're like, okay, the tomatoes are about to be here. And those yellow flowers stayed, and that tomato never showed up. And then those yellow flowers went away, and I was certain we killed the thing. <laughs> right? But you know what? We were, I had no. I had like watched a couple videos, but I had no idea what I was doing. None of us did. But we kept watering it, and we kept watching it. There was a couple times it would rain, and the bucket would fill up. So I guess we should have put holes in the bottom. I don't know. So we would dump the water out. Like I, I was sure we killed the thing. Okay. And then pretty soon, though, where that yellow flower used to be, there appeared this tiny green circle, like the size of my pinky nail. And we were over the moon. We had a tomato. We did it. The girls were excited. Every day they'd be out there taking a picture with the tomato. And it wouldn't change. It was tiny and it was green. And it, but eventually that tomato started to turn red. And we, got, we had done it. We had grown this tomato and we were really excited. Eventually it was red. We took it off the vine. We took it inside. We went to share, cut it up and share it as a family. And look, maybe it's because we had spent so much time and energy growing this tomato. Maybe I'm a little biased. But we shared that tomato as a family. Let me tell you. It was horrible. <laughs> Terrible. It was sour. It wasn't good. None of us could eat it. All right. That was not Adam's experience. Adam was created, and what he told the land to do, it did. It produced tomato after tomato. It produced it in abundance and it was delicious. Okay. It wasn't laborsome for him. It wasn't work. It was work, but it wasn't a toil. It didn't harm him. He didn't get tired. It was something he enjoyed doing. That was Adam's promise. Listen, work is pre-fall. I know that sometimes we don't like to work because it can feel like toil, but work is a part of God's original design. Adam was created to work in the garden and his work produced in a abundance. He was designed to love his work, and his work was designed to prosper. Now, if you've ever had a job that you hated, you know what a blessing that would be. To love what you do, and what you do really matters and makes a difference. That was God's original intent. That was the promise. But with the curse, with sin, came the loss of that. Now Adam would have to work. Adam's authority over all the earth was shattered. Now tending to the land became toil. And even worse, it became fruitless. The land was designed to serve Adam. Now it rebels against him. It was designed to supply him. Now it will withhold. 
And check out the wording of verse 19. This is incredible. It says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Now, all my life, I've read that and thought, okay, this is a continuation of this curse, right? The continuation of sweat and toil, that's how he's going to get his food. But as Daniel Fleming points out, this is actually an ancient Near East idiom, right? This is a saying, it's a phrase that they use to express an emotion or an experience, right? We have these in our, in our culture and our society too. But this is, that phrase has actually nothing to do with labor or hard work. Rather, when someone in the ancient Near East, like the Israelites or like Adam, like when they use that phrase that the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, The sweat of your face is not produced from labor, but from anxiety. It Rather, it speaks to a perspiration-inducing fear. Have you ever been so anxious that your palms are sweaty, so nervous that your, your forehead is just dripping with sweat, so worried and filled with anxiety that you have to put on an extra layer of deodorant? Okay, that extra was just for that. Have you ever had that moment where anxiety is so great it produces sweat? That's what is meant by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Where does this anxiety fit into God's curse? Because Adam's, because of Adam's rebellion, and when I use Adam here, I mean Adam, humanity. Because of humanity's rebellion, Adam and Eve are cursed and cast out of the garden. God's people, no longer his people. God's people no longer in God's place, and God's people are no longer with his presence. Now, we'll see throughout the story, okay, in this little hint, where God uses covenants in the Old Testament, ultimately leaving up to Jesus, where he reestablishes his people in his place with his presence. But here, all of that is lost. They are now living in a cursed, fallen world with a constant gnawing of dread, that's anxiety, that won't that there won't be enough, that their labor will not meet their need. What if the crop fails? What if the livestock dies? What if there's a fire or a storm or a drought? Can you relate? What if I can't pay rent or the mortgage? What about groceries this week? What about the car payment? What about college tuition, retirement? What if I get sick? What if my parents get sick? What if the kids get sick? Listen, I'm a citizen of one of the wealthiest nations in the world. My wife and I both have jobs with benefits, and I have an incredibly good network of friends and family. There have been times where we have fallen on really difficult moments, but our network has supported us. I have all of this. God has proven himself over and over again. I'm a pastor, but I still worry. And so do you. This is the curse of Adam. Limited resources, insecure future, a world that no longer responds to my command. This was never a part of the plan. This is a terrible loss. And the second aspect of Adam's curse, probably the most horrific, is from, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. This curse brings the most unbelievable reality yet. God's image bearers will now die like the beast. Humanity has been created to rule the earth, but now they will rot in it. I'm going to be honest. I don't think anybody knows this as much as millennials right now. Right? We're at this place in our life where 
our bodies are falling apart. We're no longer through our prime. The older we get, the worse we feel. Yesterday, we took the girls to the zoo, lots of walking, lots of pushing a stroller. Then we came home, and it was like an hour car ride in the car without moving. When I got out of that car, (laughs) the pain that I experienced, the bones that cracked, the the walk... Walking in like this, right? The older we get, we see that our bodies are falling apart. That was never a part of the design. Eventually, our bodies decay to the point where they actually give out. One day, they quit. God's perfect plan has been turned upside down, and that was never part of the plan. For the sake of the time, I'm not unpacking the next part, but Romans 8 shows that creation feels this curse too. The land that we live in, the world that we live in, it knows the curse just like Adam and Eve, just like humanity. These things were never a part of the plan, but that's what sin does. Sin wrecks havoc. It causes chaos and it destroys. And here's our Easter egg for this week. And admittedly, it's not a subtle one. Okay, we've all probably heard this before. It's not gonna change your world. It's not gonna be an enlightening moment. But it was our our scripture on the the screen this morning. It said, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall be bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. With the curse comes a promise. With the curse comes a hope that though humanity is now in a fallen world, they will not stay that way. That God is sending a hero. He is sending a rescuer. And that rescuer is Jesus. We need someone who can undo what has been done. Someone who will pay the price for humanity's Rebellion. How will the human race be held accountable and delivered all at the same time? How do we get Eden back? If we know that was the promise and we know that's the future, how do we get it back? The answer is and always has been Jesus. He is our hero. He is our rescuer. We can't tell the story of salvation without including the story of Eden. We have to ask, what are we being saved from? We are being saved from that curse to the promise. And the person who does that is Jesus Christ on the cross. He doesn't live by that reality. We are forced to live in Adam's world, the world that humanity created, the world with the curse. But Jesus doesn't play by those same rules. He went and he faced the reality, the worst thing that Adam's reality has, which is death, but he did not stay dead. Jesus rose from that grave. He was victorious. He is our rescuer. He has come to save us. We are being saved from Adam's world. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's complicated. (laughs) But the first part is there's not really any good people. Yeah, we think we're good because we compare ourselves to others, but it doesn't matter who you compare yourself to. If you compare yourself to Jesus or you compare yourself to who you were designed to be before the fall, you are never that good. But Jesus died to rescue you from that. The second part is that we're not living in God's design. I know that sounds heretical to say, but we are living in the world designed by humanity. If you read Genesis 1, it's the seven-day narrative. It ends with God being Lord over all. The seventh day is God resting because he is reigning and in control. If you read the Genesis 2, humanity decided to knock off that seventh day. We're going to just let humans rule without God reigning. We took God out of the picture. We created a reality where we are in charge and the results are disastrous. 
We're not living in God's design world. We're living in humanity's design world, cursed by sin. We are living in Adam's reality. We are all victims of Adam's choice. Men, women, creation, all broken by rebellion. Treason has brought forth tragedy. But Jesus went to the cross and he became victorious over death. He bought back creation. He is our rescuer. Yes, there are moments every day where his rescuing and his redeeming light shine forth. Moments where relationships are mended, hungry are fed, prisoners set free, weak are made strong, the weary are lifted on wings of eagles, blind eyes are open, tumors are erased, justice prevails, the lame walk, God's love and glory are made known throughout this world. There are moments where Jesus' victory shines forth. Jesus is the reigning king but he has not yet returned. We've talked about this before and we'll talk about it often. We live in an already but not yet reality. Jesus is reigning and he's in control and his light is moving and his kingdom is ever expanding and he's using his people. He's using his creation to make things new. He is using us to move forward and advance his kingdom, but it is not yet, he has not yet returned. He has not yet made all things right. Jesus will return, and he will return with the promised Eden, but it will be even greater than we see. It will be ever expanded, and it will include all those who follow him. And I know, listen, I'm not naive. I know that there are many of us that know the pain and the brokenheartedness of this fallen world. I know that many of us have experienced the pain of this fallen creation. But this week as I was writing this message, God spoke this to me and it broke me. Literally went in my room and I just wept. Because for those of us that are experiencing the fallenness of of this world, if all of this is true, if all of this that we've talked about is true, if Jesus really is our rescuer, if Eden really is the plan, it means that God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Jesus couldn't have been stopped. Him dying for our sins could not have been thwarted. God's plan cannot be overthrown. Yes, Adam has created a new reality, but it is not Adam's world. It is God's world. He has made it. It is his creation, and he is ultimately in control, and he has a plan. And if God has a plan, I can trust him. Even if it doesn't seem good, even if it doesn't seem like we're there yet, even when I'm experiencing the fallenness, I can trust him. My cry for us as a church is that we would choose to trust him. It may seem bleak, choose to trust him. The worst you can imagine may happen, but choose to trust him. You may be waiting on a miracle, but choose to trust him. God is ultimately in control and he has a plan. He has sent a rescuer for our sins. We are saved from the curse and one day he will return and make all things right. He is working in his rescuing plan. Let's choose to trust him. Let's pray.